we think wrongly about God. That's why we put that sign over the coffee bar back there to rethink God. Because all of us, including your pastor, we need to think better, think right about him. And so uh, everything becomes possible once you start thinking right. Everything becomes possible when you start thinking right. And uh, we need to make sure, and that's one of the reasons why we come to church is because you need to be rewired in your brain. I need to be rewired in my brain. So we don't, I just truly believe that the church world, the whole world, we don't totally understand exactly what happened, all of the, the miraculous goodness, love of God that happened 2,000 years ago. It was so good what happened. We just think that, you know, when I was raised up, we just think that we're not going to hell. And, man, that is such a relief. And that it, that's true. That's good. But I'm telling you, much, 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 much more than that happened. Matthew chapter 28 is the, uh, the resurrection story. It says, early on a Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear, and they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said it would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. If you and I want things to be possible, then we have to believe. We have to believe because God wants you and I to experience the, the possibility in every impossible situation. What do we need to believe? Well, the most important thing is, of course, Jesus. You have to believe in him. But I think even in believing in Jesus and believing in God, we have believed wrong. I believe that the church around the world has believed wrong in the God that Jesus presented. Jesus presented God as Father. We have to believe in the God that Jesus presented, maybe not so much in the God that you heard from the pulpit or heard from your parents or heard from anywhere. Because, you know, I always heard that Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. But then there's your part to play which is you better live right, you better do right, you better act right, you better just be right. And I don't know about you, but that's a standard that I can't keep. And if you hang around any other human being, you realize they can't keep it either. 
Can everybody say amen to that? So because, you know, I always say, okay, I got to make sure I do the works. I got to do the works of God. I got to make sure that I am not only qualified to do the works, but I want to make sure that I do the works. And then one day I, I happened to read John six twenty nine. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. Because they asked, what works are we, what are we supposed to do? So Jesus, how many think Jesus knows the answer? Jesus turns to them and says, this is the work of God. And I go, okay, here we go. This is the work. This is what I'm supposed to do. That you believe in him whom he sent. I think that kind of narrows it down, doesn't it? Instead of having a list of works that you and I should or should not be doing, there's only one. I said there's only one. If you want the door of possibility open up to you, you better get this one work down. And this one work is to believe in him whom he sent. So under the law or the old covenant, you could say it this way, is that uh, we worked for God. Or people back in the old covenant, they worked for God. But under grace, under the new covenant, we do the work of God. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. The work of God is only one thing, according to John 6, 29. To believe in him whom he sent. Miracles happen when you start thinking this way. Miracles happen when you start believing that it's all about Jesus, not about you and me. Did you hear that? If you don't get anything out of this Easter message, please get this. It's all about him. It's not about you and me. It's about Jesus. It's about him. And if we want the miraculous to happen in our life, I mean, God wants that. He sits there in Mark 9, 23. Jesus said to them, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. How many? All things are possible. People go, well, that's impossible. Oh, this sounds like a God deal then. Oh, you'll never be able to do that. You're absolutely right. Sounds like a God deal. Oh, my goodness. Do you realize how impossible this situation is? Yes, and that sounds like a God deal. But God turns around and says, if you can believe, and that's where we put pressure on ourselves. He says, well, man, I just don't know if I can believe that. It's not whether or not we believe, we think that we have to perform or we have to do it. That's not what God is saying. He says, believe in him whom he sent is our part. Let him do the figuring out. Let him do the working out. Let him do the work of making sure it happens. Amen. Believing in him. You know, the Christmas story, it's Easter, and we're going to talk about the Christmas story. When the angel came to Mary and says, you're going to have a son. She says, that's impossible. I don't know a man. She may not have health class, but she knew how children came. And she says, I don't know a man. I've never been with a man, so that's really impossible. And so the angel says, well, this is how it's going to happen. In Luke 134, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I do not know a man, and the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, if that was you and that was me, and you heard that little speech, we would have been just like Mary. I don't understand a thing you just said. 
I'm going to be overshadowed. And, you know, I'm still thinking the way to have children is nothing about what you just said. And you, you just gave me a speech that this is how it's going to happen. Listen, I don't understand and I don't totally, I, I just can't comprehend it. But the angel almost understood that and said in verse 37, said that with God, nothing will be impossible. Just know that, Mary. Just understand that, Mary. So Mary goes, oh, okay. Be it unto me according to what you said. I don't totally understand it. I just know what you said. And so just what you said, I'm going to believe it. And guess what? The impossible became possible. Just because she believed in the message. I'm telling you today, believe the message. It opens up the door to impossibilities. How did this come about? Because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, every impossible situation that you and I will ever face because of what he did 2,000 years ago, it causes that impossible to be possible now. We need to believe it. Each time in the Bible, it talks about you can have all things if you believe all things. All things are possible in prayer when you stand believing. It always boils down to this, that you and I are limited. We have limitations. But when you start believing in him, all limitations are put off. I'm sure there's people watching, people listening to me, that you may be in an, an impossible situation. If not today, just wake up tomorrow. <laughs> We're all going to face impossible situations. And the thing is that when we face impossible situations, your brain starts to think and starts to calculate and saying, I, I can't do this. This is impossible. That's, when, that's why you need to disengage your brain and go, but I do know one thing that the Bible says, that all I have to do is believe in him whom he sent, and it causes the door of impossibility to become possible. Amen? Amen? So we may be having trouble believing because we get it wrong when it comes to what God thinks about us. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up that I used to think that I really couldn't have a miracle because I w really wasn't worthy of a miracle. You ever thought that? You know, I just don't, I mess up too much. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that disqualifies me from having any kind of miracle. So I'm just going to have to get through this the best I can. You're probably a lot better than me. You've never had that kind of thinking. But I mean, I would think that a lot. And so I realized that how I think about how God thinks about me was totally wrong. That's why I say we need to rethink God. We don't even think right about how God thinks about us. That includes me and everybody watching, everybody on this planet. Nobody thinks right about how God thinks about them. Is that too much of thinking or too much of the word thinking there? We think wrong about how God thinks about us. We think wrong. That's not just the person on the left and the right. That's the person sitting in your chair I'm talking about. In case everybody's not getting it, if you got it. My mom, uh, she passed away in 1999 uh, in her 80s. 
she uh, had me late in life. She was in her 40s when I was born. I'm the last of six kids. And, uh, uh, yeah, somebody whistled. Yeah, it's like <laughs> my older sister and brother were not only married, they had children before I was born. That whole father and the bride movie, if you've seen that, they got that from my family. <laughs> I should be getting royalties off that. But anyway, uh, my sister had two children before I was even born. Matter of fact, her last child, she was pregnant the same time my mother was pregnant with me. She was due two months to the day before my mother was due with me. So my nephew was born April 7th, and I was born June 7th. And so I was Uncle Mike right when I came out of the womb. <laughs> so my mom... When I was growing up, she used, I mean, she always loved God, and, and uh, it, it's not only that, I, I don't know what she did with God, but she told me when I was a toddler that from the time I was a toddler until I was a rebellious teenager, she said, you're going to be a preacher. And I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't have to tell you who won that battle, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I know that... Uh, she used to think differently how God thought about her than how I thought God thought about me. She used to say things like, I'm God's favorite. And you know, at first when I heard that, it was kind of cute. But then when she started telling other people <laughs> that I went to church with, it didn't sound so cute. I go, Mom, finally, I, you, you, you can't do that. God doesn't have favorites. Oh, yes, he does. I said, Mom, she says, I'm going to tell you what happened to me, Mike. Now, she, she never drove a day in her life. She never had a driver's license up to the day she died in her 80s. She never, do you know anybody? She's the only person I have ever, and it was my mom, that, is, that never had a driver's license, never drove. Have you ever had anybody or known anybody? I mean, like, wow. I mean, it's like, so the problem with that is that and, you know, she lived all alone. So she was 100% dependent upon people to either take her someplace, to shopping, clothes shopping, grocery shopping, or she was dependent upon somebody to drop stuff off to her. 100% dependent. And so, uh, you know, later in life, she had to use a walker. She had osteoporosis, and, and I think she broke every bone in her body at one time or another. But anyway, uh, she was really tender and... Fragile. She should have had fragile on her forehead. But uh, one day, I, she was all alone, and um, I joined the military. I was in the Air Force at the time. And uh, uh, she um, said this. She said, you know what, Mike? This is how I know that I'm one of God's favorites. She said, uh, I wanted some Kentucky Fried Chicken. She said, uh, I didn't tell anybody but my father. She said, God, could you have somebody bring me some Kentucky Fried Chicken? I really would like Kentucky Fried Chicken today. And she said, I forgot about it. And she said, along lunchtime, some, there was a knock at the door, and somebody came in. And they said, Louise, I was at Kentucky Fried Chicken getting my lunch, and I, I just thought of you. So I happened to get a Kentucky Fried Meal for you. So uh, would you like that? Would you, 
care to eat that? You like Kentucky Fried Chicken? She just smiled real big and said, I sure would. She said, Mike, that's what my father does to me, so I'm pretty sure I'm his favorite. <laughs> it's hard to argue with somebody who comes up with an example like that. And so I just said, okay, Mom, but you just need to keep that between you and me and God, okay? She goes, no, I, th I think people need to know that. Like, so I just blew it off, and so I'm away in the Air Force, and uh, she always worried about me. She, I mean, even though she loved God and knew God, she was, you know, and mothers don't do this. But she, I, no matter what I said, but I, I do blame my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law was like, he, I always look up to him, still look up to him to this day. And uh, he, he was always like a father figure to me. But he was a little bit, um, still is, matter of fact, um, Honorary, a little bit. That, that's a polite word I can say online in case he's watching. But um, <laughs> he told my mother and my sisters, you know, when I joined the Air Force, I refueled airplanes up in the air. You know, you fly down in a boom, you hook up in, in midair going about 500 and something miles an hour. And so he knew my sister and my mom were just worried. He says, now I'm going to tell you what Mike does. What Mike does is that, you know, he refuels airplanes in the air. But listen, this is how he does it. You know that pole that comes down he talked to you about? He shimmies down that pole, and he takes the gas can or the gas lid off of that airplane, and then he crawls back up, and then he puts that pole in there to fill it up full of gas. And my mom's going, oh, <laughs> going 500 miles an hour. She said, he says, don't worry. He's got a parachute on, as if. That would make it all better. And I later told, I said, no, I do not do that. I don't have a parachute. No, but I, anyways. <laughs> anyway, she was always worried about me. And I'm sure that story didn't help at all. But uh, so one day when she was all alone and I'm far, far away and uh, in the military, she falls and she had a walker. She used that walker to get around everywhere. And she was back in the back bedroom. And she fell. And, and that day in time, there was no cell phones. And so uh, she was just stuck there. She couldn't get up. She couldn't get to the phone or anything. And so she, was so she started crying out to God. God, you have to help me. I can't get up. I have to have help. And I don't know how long she was there, but it wasn't a real long time, she said. But um, the door, the front door of the house opened up, and she heard somebody yell, Hello? So she started screaming, I'm back here, I'm back here, please come back here. So this man comes walking back, going all the way back there, and it was a stranger that she'd never met before, a man walking into your house. So he helps her up, gets her back into the living room, sits her down in the seat, and he takes a seat across from her in the living room, and they begin to talk. And mom's telling me this story. I'm going, Mom, you didn't even know this man. <laughs> You've never seen this man before in your life? Never seen him before in my life. Never seen him since. Okay, keep telling the story. So I told him how much I was thankful about him helping me up and everything. And all of a sudden, he looked over at the TV and he saw, Mike, your picture in your uniform sitting on the TV. And he says, is that your son? She said, yes, it is. And I'm just always worried about him. You know, he does this job. I don't totally understand it, but I know it's just, 
it just makes me worried. I'm just so concerned about him. Every day I pray for him. Every day I'm just worried about him. And he says, ma'am, I want to tell you something. Your son is safe, and he will always be safe, and God is always protecting him. You do not have to worry about your son from this day forward. And he said, Mike, when he said that, he said, just a peace came upon me, and I thought, that is so true. I don't have to worry about him. God is watching over him. And he just began to talk more and more about how much God loved her and how much he loved me and was watching over us. And then Mike, he just got up. He says, it was such a pleasure talking to you. And it was a cold winter day, snowing outside, something fierce. So the man got up, walked out the door, and he said goodbye. And my mom got in her walker right away. And she started scooting over there to the door. And she looked out, and she said, Mike, it was snowing something fierce. And she said, I looked out with the snow lying on the ground, and she said there was not one footprint in the snow. Now, that may be hard for you to believe, but not for me. Because she understood how God thought about her that caused the door of impossibility to be possible. Are you hearing me? So the whole point of that message, I was thinking upon that this, and I didn't even intend to, to give it an e on Easter, but this is the point. That years later, and I do mean years, many years later, I thought about my mom saying that she was God's favorite, and the Lord just started dealing with me in my heart saying, you know, your mother was right. And I went, what? About being her favorite? Your, my mom is your favorite? Yes, she was. And she said, he said, this is the thing, Mike, that you need to know. You're my favorite. I went, well, well wait a minute, God. You, if, you're, if, I, if she was your favorite, I can't be your favorite because she's your favorite. He says, and that's why you, don't, you just don't get it. You don't understand. Because all of my children, when they come to me, when they ask me for anything, when they spend time with me, when they talk to me, I relay to them if they would open up their eyes that you're my favorite. Every person, every child of mine is my favorite. No matter what. No matter what. And I went, she was right. When I get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to have to say is, you're right, Mom. I'm God's favorite. <laughs> but this is the thing. You know why it's so good to know that? Listen to me. This is the good news because of the resurrection. Are you ready? Being God's favorite, you don't have to be good looking. Amen. And most of you should have said amen to that. I'll say amen to that. <laughs> Maybe the majority. But anyway, my point is this. You know what? It's not based upon looks. It's not based upon intellect. It's not based upon your works or what you can or cannot do or what you've done or will do. It's not based upon anything that you can attribute it to or work for. It's based upon Jesus. And when you get into that frame of mind and know what he thinks about you, you understand that you become God's favorite. Amen. That alone, that truth alone will open up doors supernaturally for you and me. 
You didn't hear me. I said, knowing that truth alone, that you're God's favorite, will open up doors supernaturally for you that you could never open, and you would always think this is impossible. That's impossible. It can't be done. I don't know what I'm going to do. Now you have an answer for that impossible situation. You need to start thinking in this frame of mind, I am God's favorite. Therefore, the impossible will automatically be possible to me because I'm God's favorite. All things are possible to him that believes. And I used to think, I have to believe this. I have to believe this. And, you know, I'm just going to have to work on my faith, and I have to believe this. And God said, this is the work you need to be doing, Mike. You believe in the work what Jesus has done for you. That's the work. Once you believe in that, it opens up the door for you to have supernatural increase in your life. Supernatural doors are open up because of Jesus, not because of you. Oh, I have such great faith. I'm God's man of power and faith. No, it has nothing to do with you. It has all to do with can you believe on him? Because it's the faith of God that opens up doors supernaturally. It's the faith of Jesus that causes the dead to come alive. It's the faith of Jesus that causes deaf ears to open up. It's the faith of Jesus that causes things that where nothing could be done. It causes people to be able to walk on water. It's the faith of Jesus that will cause your boss to change his mind about what he thinks about you and give you that promotion. It's the faith of Jesus that causes supernatural jobs and for you to have supernatural business. Maybe you've never even thought about this, but God can drop an idea or a thought in you to have a supernatural business where it will cause much increase to come into your life. To be a blessing. And the more I thought about this, I just thought about John, out of all the disciples, understood this more than any of the other 11 disciples. If you read the book of John, John says this. He doesn't even mention his name sometimes. He says this, and the disciple that Jesus loved. I went, what's up with that? Peter didn't talk that way. James... Not, none of the disciples talked like that. Only one out of the 12. You know, if you, if you study that, out of the 12, three, Peter, James, and John, they were closest to Jesus. But then out of those three, only one had that mentality, John. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. I just, you read that and you go, well, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it, to say, I know there was 12 disciples, but I'm the one that he loved. No. You think Jesus loved them all the same? He did. But one had an understanding that Jesus really loved him and that he was his favorite. Did you know Jesus never did correct him like I tried to correct my mother? (laughs) Jesus never did say, John, come here, John. Now listen. I love all the disciples the same. So you need to quit. Listen. No, he let him pin that in his book for all eternity for everybody to read from then on out. It's written in the book of John. And then the disciple that Jesus loved. What is up with that? And I thought my mother understood that. It's a shame that the church doesn't understand that. No, we don't think we're worthy enough. 
Not only do we not think that Jesus really loves us and that we're his favorite, but man, we just think sometimes we don't even want to tick him off. Because there's a lot of ticking going on because I don't do everything right and I don't do this. And don't get me wrong, God hates sin because he knows what sin will do to you. Just like a, a good parent will stop their, their toddler from running into the front yard street because she knows or he knows that what could happen. So she stops him or yells, don't, stop. Jesus and our heavenly fathers the same way. They know what sin can do to you as far as destroying you and everything. But as far as you not sinning and being more acceptable, that is not the way they think about you and me. You're always his favorite, no matter how you act, no matter what you do. Our human brain can't wrap itself around that. And most religious brains don't even want to go there. I'll say this. This is my opinion. Everybody understand what I just said? That's my opinion. So it's my opinion. My opinion is this. You know, in the Bible, it talks about in the last days, there's going to be people wanting to hear certain things, because, and it says with itchy ears. Ten years ago, I used to think, yeah, it's going to be pe- preachers who are raised up, and they're just going to preach that you can live any old way, and, and you can do anything you want, and it doesn't matter. And I used to think that. You know what I think that itchy ears are today after preaching about grace for four years? I believe it's the exact opposite because the people I encounter, people who I talk to, People would rather hear a list of do's and don'ts than hear that God loves you unconditionally no matter what. It is easier on your flesh and my flesh to say, if you could just tell me what to do, I'll do it. And it's cutting out the relationship and it's based upon moral obligation instead of spiritual transformation. Just my opinion. I thought I'd share that with you. Be in a favorite. It's not based upon anything about you and me. It's based upon Resurrection Sunday. Man, that's why I love Easter, man. You and I couldn't get to this point today. You know, if you're your best friend's favorite or, you, you know, there's people, you know, we don't like talking about it. But, you know, we have best friends and we have people that are friends and we have people that we don't even be near. But, I mean, you know, all in all, that was a joke, kind of. But, uh, but God doesn't, it's hard for us to think that, you mean God has favorites? Yeah, and he has you. You know, have you heard people say that, you know, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it? It's true. Maybe he does have a big refrigerator. I don't know. But if he does, my picture's right there. And when he opens the door, that's my son, Mike. <laughs> Colossians 1. Colossians 1, chapter 21 says this. Even though you were once distanced from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. Did you hear that? He reconnected connected you we try listen to me now we tried to connect back to God oh I've tried that most of my life I got to connect I got to do this to get connected back to God while all along I didn't even understand he says Mike you can't connect back to me you don't have the ability to do that only I have the ability that but the good news is 
I connected you back to myself. Whoa. And then the next part, he released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing. Everybody say nothing. nothing. Now there is nothing. Let's just read this together out loud. Ready? One, two, three. And now there is nothing between you and the Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, restored. How does God see you today? Holy, flawless, and restored. How is he going to see you tomorrow? Holy, flawless, and restored. How is he going to see you when you mess up and you really mess up bad? He's going to see you as holy, flawless, and restored. Why? Because all of your past sins, all of your present sins, all of your future sins have been cleansed up and taken away as if they never existed because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can that be? We don't understand the power that is in the blood of God. It's the blood of Almighty God. It's not just blood that causes life in your human body. It's the life of Almighty God that was shed so that every sin is wiped away. So that's why God says, I see you as holy and I see you as flawless forever and ever and ever. Your brain has a hard time wrapping around that. And if you were raised in religion like I was, your religious brain says, I just can't believe that. I think I need to do something. I got to work for this. I got to do something. I mean, you mean I... And God says, the work that I need you to do. I do know this. You know, we're, we're so concerned about being a servant of God, we totally forget about that we are in a kingdom of sons and daughters. Listen to me now. And because I know I'm in the kingdom of sons and daughters instead of a kingdom of servants, because if you think if you're in the kingdom of servants, you think the main thing that you need to do is serve. But if you're in the kingdom of sons and daughters and you know what your father thinks about you and how he thinks about you, it causes me to want to serve. <laughs> that is so different than what most of us, majority of us, maybe all of us, think. We think, I got to serve. I got to serve him. Did you know Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. The master of the universe said that. That's what he said. I didn't come to be served. He said, I come to serve you. That's what the master said. He understood his relationship with the Father. He understood his relationship with the Father. We don't understand our relationship with the Father. I just got to serve God. I just got to serve God. If you understand that you're a son or a daughter, oh, it opens up your mind, and it frees you up, and it goes, oh, I want to do what my Father wants. I want to say what my Father says. I just want to do because my Father loves me so much. I'm his favorite. I, I just want to do this because I'm a son and I'm a daughter. I'm a joint heir of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made me the head and not the tail. I want to do everything because I know how I am loved and that I'm his favorite and I want to serve him. Instead of religion or somebody telling you, you better serve and you need to serve, you can do that as long as you have a willpower. But if you have a love connection, a love connection. 
That's why they sang about that in the 60s and the 70s. We need a love connection. Well, the church needs a love connection. And the thing is, God has always loved. His connection has always been towards you and me. The problem is with your thinking and my thinking. We're just not worthy to be loved. Really? When God said, for God so loved the world. When God said, even while you were in the midst of your sin, God sent Jesus. And you're saying that I'm not worthy. I can't be. I got to own up to that. I can't do this. Honey, that will close the door of the impossible to stay impossible to you and me. But when you start realizing that, it opens up all doors of possibility. Love opens that door. You can't open it. I can't open it. But Jesus can and does and always will. Let me share one other thing. Oh, I'm going to have to skip so much. I will say this. Let me just say this. I got two, two and a half minutes. Most, I, I shouldn't say most. There's a lot of preaching and teaching going on around the world. And I was part of that. That was built on fear. It's popular. We're fascinated, to be honest with you. The world's fascinated about uh, fear of hell, punishment. God's wrath. You know, and any time there's a hurricane, tornado, oh, the wrath of God's being poured out. Of course, weather patterns have been like that for decades, but all of a sudden now it's God's wrath. But anyway, the great tribulation, false prophets and false teachers and the judgment of God upon nations, and there's just a lot of fear being pushed out. And, and man, is it ever a good motivator? When I was seven years old, I, I was in a, a church, and the, the pastor got up, and he preached on hell that day. i never forget it. Seven years old. And um, I just heard him saying that, you know, that you could burn forever. And, man, I was petrified. I just thought, Lord, have mercy. Nobody ever told me I would burn forever. I mean, I was, my parents never did tell me, you know, you would burn forever if you don't believe in Jesus. And, then, man, it just scared the snot out of me. And uh, so when he, you ever heard that song? And it burns, burns, burns. (laughs) If you read the lyrics of that song, Johnny Cash, it's about love. But at that particular time, at age seven, I thought about that song as burning forever in hell. And so I thought, me and Johnny Cash need to run up there. But anyway, when he was done, I was the first one up there at age seven, man. I thought, whatever I need to do to not go to the place that you talked about. So, does fear, that motivation work? Yeah, it does. But I'm going to be honest with you. That's not the kingdom of God. That's never how he intended it. The Bible says it's his kindness. It's his what? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God. It shouldn't be fear and torment. Are you hearing me? It shouldn't be uh, just criticism and judgment and, and, and just guilt placed upon people. And I've sat in churches and, and I've been part of services where such criticism and judgment and, and, and guilt was placed upon me that I thought, man, I better get saved all over again. You and I need to realize it's not a kingdom 
that God set up like that. It's his kingdom's built on love and fear has nothing in his kingdom. Perfect love casts out all fear. So why would he want to promote fear when he's all about love? Did you hear me? Let me just say this. Is our motivation to live the Christian life based on love and gratitude for what Christ has done for us? Or is it based on fear of what God will do to us when we do sin? What kind of God do you serve? Is it based upon love and gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done for us 2,000 years ago? Or is it based upon fear of what God will do when you sin? How you answer that will determine how you think about your Heavenly Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. I don't know how I spent more time preaching today and I got, I said something in the first service that I really feel like you need to hear. You know, Moses talked face to face with God. Abraham not only talked with God, had a meal with him. Remember before he... God was going to pour his judgment out on Sodom and Gomorrah. He went down, talked with Abraham, had a meal with Abraham. Now that would have been nice. Oh, who did you eat with last night? God. Never heard anybody say that, but Abraham did. So many prophets knew and heard from God. Yet Jesus comes along and he tells, uh, and he says that no one's ever seen God but me. I'm the only one who knows God. And you read that and you think, what? What about all those other people? Did Jesus not read the Old Testament? But Jesus makes us boast that nobody's seen God except for me. And so you think, man, that's a contradiction, is it not? No, it's not. What Jesus was saying is that no one has seen the Father and known the Father like me. Moses, he saw clear, not, he didn't see God clearly. In other words, all of the goodness that God was, he didn't see it. Abraham didn't see it. Isaac, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of the major prophets, all the minor prophets, nobody in the old covenant, nobody understood God and saw God like Jesus. So Jesus stands up and says, nobody see the Father but me. The point is, he said that, and I'll read it in the... John 1.18. This is the Passion Translation. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the unique, uniquely beloved Son who is cherished by the Father and held close to His heart. Now He has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. So see, they didn't have, you know, they, they saw God and He was folded up. But Jesus comes along to the earth and he, and he starts to unfold who God is. First of all, He's Father. He's Daddy. Second of all, He's a, a friend of sinners. The old covenant, God was not a... They thought that God was not a friend of sinners, but He was. If you want to know how God thinks about sinners, look at Jesus. You know what, how God feels about when people mess up look at Jesus that's the truest picture you'll get of the father what are you saying the old covenant's not good no 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 it's written for our example but I am saying this if you're trying to get the perfect picture of God just by the old covenant you're going to miss it you'll miss it why because they missed it 
And Jesus sat there and he said, nobody's seen the Father but me. If you want to know exactly what Philip says, show us the Father. Jesus goes, are you kidding me? If you've seen me, you've seen. If you've seen me, you've seen. So he says, if you want to know what the Father's like, Philip, you look at me. So if you want to know the true, the truest mentality of God the Father, you better look at Jesus. Let's stay.